Let's go to the Lord in prayer and commit this time uh, to Him this morning. Father, we plead with You now as we look at Your Word that it would pierce our hearts. Father, I know that with a group this size that we are all at different places in our walk with You. Some of us are in a joyful season with You. Some of us are in a dry season uh, with You. And some of us may have never experienced a season with You at all. And so, Lord, wherever we are uh, in our journey with You and wherever we are in our walk with You, I pray that Your Word would speak to us this morning. That it would uh, confront us with the reality of what we are to do with you, what we are to do with Jesus, and how we are to uh, see Jesus, and how we are to love Him and to respond to Him. And Lord, we are all born uh, spiritually deaf and blind. So Father, we pray that Your Spirit would awaken us, that although we may see with our eyes and hear with our ears, Pray that we would see with our hearts and hear with our hearts this morning. That we would not be blinded by the schemes of Satan. We wouldn't be blinded by our own sinfulness. And that your word would not fall upon deaf ears. But that you would uh, open our eyes and our ears to behold wonderful things out of your word this morning. And in the name of Christ we pray. Amen. If you have your Bibles, you can open up to the Gospel of Mark, the Gospel of Mark in the New Testament. Uh, It's the second book of the New Testament, right after Matthew, so Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And we're going to be looking at the end of chapter 7 and then chapter 8 through verses 26. Talking this morning about the spiritually blind and the spiritually deaf. Uh, Now, to my knowledge, uh, every one of us in here this morning have the ability to hear Uh, Some of you may not be able to hear me quite as well as others, but the reality is all of you can hear me. And I'm looking out there and you can see me. Uh, So we can all see this morning and we can all hear this morning. And what Jesus is talking about this morning and what Mark is trying to point us to is not the, the actually being able to see and actually being able to hear, but being able to see spiritually. And being able to hear spiritually. And to do that, he has uh, this account with the Pharisees and this account with the disciples that are in between these stories of Jesus healing someone who is deaf and healing someone who is blind. So if you look at the end of Mark chapter 7, uh, verses 31 to the end of the chapter, verse 37, is this account of Jesus uh, healing a deaf man. A deaf man who, who could not hear and he could not speak. And so Jesus comes up to him, uh, he puts his, his, his fingers in his ears, he pulls them out, and this man is able to speak. He goes from not physically not being able to hear to being able to hear. And then the end of our passage this morning is, at, is uh, Mark chapter 8, verses 20 through 22 through 26. And we see in this passage how Jesus 
physically heal someone who is blind. And this man who uh, come up, came up to Jesus and he, had, he, he was blind and Jesus uh, spit on his eyes and laid his hands on him uh, and he eventually is healed. At first, he's not able to see perfectly and then Jesus does something else and then he's able to see perfectly. So at the beginning of our story, you have this account where Jesus physically heals someone who cannot hear. And at the end of the story, we have this account where Jesus physically heals someone who cannot see. And in the middle of the story, you have the account of the Pharisees and the disciples who are seen as people who spiritually cannot hear and cannot see. So the question that we are all going to be confronted with over the next few moments as we look at this passage is, can you spiritually hear the words of God? And can you spiritually see the words of God and who Jesus is? And so let's look at this passage together. As I mentioned, chapter 7 ends with someone, Jesus healing a deaf man. Uh, And then in chapter 8, verses 1 through 10, you have an account similar to the one that we talked about a few weeks ago where Jesus fed the 5,000. In this account, He feeds the 4,000. So a very similar account to where Jesus takes uh, seven loaves and He makes enough food for 4,000 people. Now, pick up in verse 11 of chapter 8. So right after Jesus has fed the 4,000, Jesus proceeds elsewhere and the Pharisees come to Him in verse 11 and they came to Him and began to argue with Him, seeking from Him a sign from heaven to test Him. And He sighed deeply in His spirit and said, Why does this generation seek a sign? Truly I say to you, no sign will be given to this generation. And He left them, got into the boat, and went to the other side. Going on in verse 14. It says, Now they had forgotten to bring bread, and they had only one loaf with them in the boat. And He cautioned them, He being Jesus, saying, Watch out, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. And they began discussing with one another the fact that they had no bread. And Jesus, aware of this, said to them, Why are you discussing the fact that you have no bread? Do you not yet perceive or understand? Are your hearts hardened? Have your eye, Having eyes, do you not see? And having ears, do you not hear? And do you not remember? When I broke the five loaves for the five thousand, how many baskets full of broken pieces did you take up? And they said to him, Twelve. And the seven for the four thousand, how many baskets full of broken pieces did you take up? And they said to him, Seven. And he said to them, Do you not yet understand? Now what's going on in this passage here? The first account is with the Pharisees. The Pharisees come to Jesus and what do they ask of Jesus? They say, Jesus, we would like from you a sign from heaven. Now, on first uh, looking at this, you would say, well, why didn't Jesus give it to them? Obviously, Jesus has the ability to give signs from heaven. I mean, this is the man who has, uh, over the course of our looking through the Gospel of Mark, he has healed paralyzed people. Who, paralyzed people have been able to walk. The blind have been able to see. The deaf have been able to hear. And the hungry have been fed. This man is doing everything. So obviously, he had the ability to do one more sign here for these well-meaning Pharisees. But the question that we have to ask is, were these Pharisees well-meaning? 
And I think obviously from the context of this passage that they weren't well-meaning. Because if you notice verse 11, it says that they argued with Him and they were seeking a sign from heaven. For what reason? For the reason of testing Him. They did not come to Jesus sincerely seeking and asking the question, you know, are you the Messiah? Are you the Son of God? Are you the one that God has promised to send to redeem His people and establish His kingdom? Their assumption was that He was not that one person. So their desire was not sincerely for a sign to bring some kind of authenticity to the fact of who Jesus was. They were desiring to trick Him or to trap Him. Or as the Scripture says here, just to simply test Him. So what does Jesus say to them? He says that He sighs deeply in His spirit. And He says, why does this generation seek a sign? Truly to you no sign will be given. So the question here for the Pharisees that that you begin wondering is, obviously the Pharisees are not ignorant of what Jesus has been doing in His ministry. Because the fact that they actually came to Him, asking Him these questions, helps us know that they knew what Jesus had been doing. They had heard of Him feeding the thousands. They had heard of Him healing people. They had seen Him doing these things. In other accounts of Mark, we we have been shown that the Pharisees were already trying to trick Him. And so you want to say, with Jesus, the fact is is that the Pharisees have been given a sign. They have been given these things already, and it has not opened up their hearts to the truth of who Jesus is. But in fact, it's hardened their heart to who Jesus is. And this morning, it's easy for us to point fingers at Pharisees. It's easy for us to say, oh, those Pharisees, I can't believe they didn't get it. But think about who the Pharisees were. If we were able to go back 2,000 years in time and we showed up in these cities and we asked, you know, who are the godly people of your community? I think most people probably would have said, well, the Pharisees. They are the people who love God's Word. They're the people who teach us God's Word. They're the people who study God's Word the most. That's what they're trained to do. And yet they did not perceive who Jesus was. In spite of the fact that Jesus had repeatedly give them, had given them the signs that they were requesting, they remained spiritually blind to who Jesus was. And so as we think about applying this passage to our own context, you know, if we or someone drove up here uh, this afternoon and they started driving around, they said, well, who are, who are the the honest people of this community? Who are the godly people of this community? Who are the people that seem to love the Lord? My hope is, or my guess is, and my hope is that they would begin naming some people here in this congregation. They said, well, you know that Everett Creekmore, he's a fine man. He's a deacon there at Redbud and has been for a long time. He sings in the choir. He teaches Sunday school. Uh, he, he's a fine, upstanding man. But remember, this is the same thing that people would have said about the Pharisees. But the Pharisees had no concept of who Jesus really was and who He really is and the significance of His coming. And I say that as a word of warning to me and to all of us here. The fact here, the fact that you are here this morning, the fact that you have been here all your life, The fact that you know a lot about the Bible 
The fact that you can answer some questions about Jesus doesn't mean you understand who He is. And it doesn't mean that you are spiritually understanding the significance of Christ. Because the Pharisees were as religious as you could be on the outside. Yet they didn't get it. They didn't get it. They were hostile to Christ. Going on with the disciples. You have a similar situation, but a little bit different type of situation. You have the disciples here who, who are getting ready to go on the boat, and they forgot their bread. And Mark says that, well, they forgot their bread, and they only had one loaf, which seems to suggest that the one loaf Mark was talking about was Jesus. Because oh, repeatedly Jesus has talked about how He is the bread of life. And that people are to, to eat of Him and get their nourishment from Him. But obviously the disciples aren't picking up on this and they don't have any bread. And so Jesus picks up on it and He's like, what are you talking about you don't have any bread? You know, beware of the, the leaven of the Pharisees and of Herod. Talking about how at that time they would take a little bit of, of dough from that week's bread and they would put it to the side and save it for the next week. And a lot of times that dough would, would become tainted. And if it did, it would destroy the whole loaf. And so specifically, he's talking about with the Pharisees and Herod, these rulers being Herod on one sense and the religious leaders of the Pharisees on the other who were not open to seeing the signs of Christ. They weren't open to, to seeing the evidence that Christ had given to them that He was indeed the Son of God. And he's saying, beware of this. Because you're not getting it either. Why are you worrying about bread? You know, why are you worrying about the fact that you don't have any bread here? And he begins asking them these questions. Obviously, in his mind, he, Jesus has to be thinking, you know, were you not with me when I fed 5,000 people with a few loaves of bread and some fish? You know, were you not just with me when I fed 4,000 people with seven loaves? And here it's 13 of us? 13? And you're worried about not having bread? And so he begins asking them these questions. And he asked them, how many, at the, at, in verse 19, he says, when I broke the five loaves for the 5,000, how many baskets full of broken pieces did you take up? And they answer correctly. They say 12. And he says, well, what about when I had the seven loaves for the 4,000? How many baskets did we take up? How many baskets did you take up? And he says, seven. So they answer correctly. But yet, his analysis of them is that, do you not yet perceive or understand? Are your hearts hardened? Having eyes, do you not see? And having ears, do you not hear? If you met the disciples at that moment, and you asked them, can you describe to me what happened when Jesus fed the 4,000? Can you describe to me what happened when Jesus fed the 5,000? They would have been able to do it. Because Jesus is asking them details about the account. And they, and they answered correctly. They saw with their physical eyes what happened. And they heard with their physical ears what happened in these miracles. But yet Jesus... says that they have yet to spiritually 
hear or see what has happened. If I started right here and I went around the room and I asked you to give me some details about the story when Jesus fed the 5,000 or when He fed the 4,000 or if I asked you other stories about Jesus, my guess is that most of you, if not all of you, would be able to give me some accurate information. And that would be great. But my question is the same as what Jesus is, is for the disciples. Do you understand not, not do you, not can you describe what happened. Because the disciples could do that. The Pharisees could describe what Jesus was doing. But they did not understand what He was doing. So do you understand the significance of who Jesus is? That when He says, I am the bread of life, that's what He means. That He is the bread of life. That without Him, you would perish. And in His hands, He has the power to do anything for His kingdom. And the disciples are coming to Him with questions, not, Jesus, we want to see you feed these 5,000, but Jesus, we don't have enough money to feed the people. Jesus, there's not enough food out here in the desert to feed the people. Jesus, we're in the boat and we don't have any bread. Although they have continually seen His power work. They've continually seen Him manifest the reality that He is the Messiah. That He is the Son of God. And they could describe those things. And they could recount them to people who asked. And yet for their heart, there was no understanding. They didn't understand the significance of all this. So as we think about this passage for the life of our church... I'm not asking you to recount all of Jesus' miracles. I'm asking you to ask yourself whether or not you understand who Jesus is. That He is the Son of God. And just think about this. If you say with your mind that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, And that He really did these things. That He really died on the cross. And that God really raised Him from the dead after three days. And that when Jesus says, those who will enter the kingdom of God are those who do what I have commanded or who do the will of the Father. I mean, either He is true when He says those things. Either He is true when He says, I am the bread of life. Either He is true when He says people will live by My Word and not by bread alone, or He's not true. Or He's lying when He says those things. And if He's lying, then what I'm doing right now is meaningless and a waste of time. And what you're doing right now is meaningless and a waste of time. But if what He says is true, that should radically change our lives more than anything 
And my fear is that what we have done is we have created an environment to where it's very easy to, in one sense, be like the disciples in describing things about Christianity. That, yeah, we need to do these things. It's wrong to, you know, cheat on your wife. It's wrong to cuss. It's wrong to do these things. And, and if I asked you, you could all give me a great list of things that it's wrong to do. Because that's what God's Word says is wrong. And we can come here and agree upon those things and we talk about them in Sunday school and the preacher preaches on them. But in reality, Jesus has no effect upon life. It's just something we grew up with. Something that we go to church and talk about sometimes. But when it comes down to the nitty-gritty of our life, Jesus has no relevance. No relevance at all. We do what we want to do, when we want to do it, how we want to do it. And my encouragement to you as a pastor, if that's the way it is, just be honest about it. You know, don't try to live two lives to where you say one thing and your life demonstrates another. Either be all for Jesus or just be honest and say, I think it's a lie. And I don't think Jesus really means that much. But if you do say, I think Jesus is the Son of God. I believe Him when He says that He's the King of Kings. And in His name every knee shall bow and every tongue confess that He is the Lord. And it should impact what we're doing in our lives. The way we talk to each other, the way we live our lives, the decisions that we make. The way we raise our children, the way we work the way we live in our community. It should have an impact on all these things. So, are you spiritually able to hear this morning? Are you spiritually able to see this morning? And just as Jesus was the only one who could physically make this man, these two men, see and hear, he is the only one that is able to help you to spiritually understand and to see and to hear. So if your heart's desire is, yes, Jesus, He's King, He's true, my exhortation to you is to fall on your knees before Him and plead with Him that He would grant you understanding. And I can promise you, on the authority of God's Word, for those that plead with Him for understanding, He will grant understanding. Let's go to the Lord in prayer.